Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody? Um, before I started start to read, I just want to, um, I'm in our dessert first Bible study. If anybody likes dessert, that's a great one to be in. That's Tuesday evenings here at the Bible study um, at the coffee shop. But we're studying the Holy Spirit. We're doing a program. And so one of the things we've talked about is, I mean, is before you do scripture, um, and, you know, we read it, we study it, it can do so much um, for you. But w- if you ask the Holy Spirit to enter your heart each and every time, the word of God can come alive, does come alive, and you truly do have his power within you to do all that you're called to do. And Proverbs is an awesome book. I'm about done studying it, so I'm going to be critiquing Marcus and uh, as he teaches it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to begin reading Proverbs 6, 9 through 15, and also 20 through 22. So please join along with me, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and to open our hearts. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, with a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man, a troublemaker and a villain who goes about with the corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eyes, signals his feet, and motions with his fingers, who plots evils with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overcome him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always in your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake, they will speak to you. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Love it when you come up. I got one right here. Uh, no, you can just lean it up against there. We're really thankful for Nancy. If you don't know, Nancy's one of our board of directors. So Nancy's actually my boss. So I'm glad that she knows Proverbs. She's going to critique there. And so we love you, Nancy. We're so thankful that you're on our board of directors. Um, Nathan, thank you very much for... Uh, preaching last week. Uh, <laughs> I love kind of being the older pastor now, and uh, we're going through this sermon series, and it happened to be my birthday, and it also happened to be the chapter where you talk about the wayward woman and lust. Have a good one, Nathan. I'm going away. <laughs> it was pretty fun. But uh, no, I'm so thankful, like Drew was saying, for this, for this, this community. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Becoming Church, and one of the things uh, that it said is a, a a key part of becoming church is community. And if we don't have community, it just is never going to work. And that's, community is not easy. Community comes at a price. It means that you will be uncomfortable making community. And it means that you will make others uncomfortable 
as you make community. Community is expensive and it comes with you getting your feelings hurt and you hurting other people's feelings. And we have to move through that. If we don't, we never will settle in on community. I heard it said like this, the Bible, beautiful place to know God. Taking classes, going to Bible studies, also great place to know God. But if you want to become like Jesus, you have to be in community. Becoming like Christ comes through living and breathing and sleeping and eating and talking and doing life with others. So, so thankful for this community. Nathan, thank you very much for uh, preaching last week. Had a wonderful birthday weekend up in Maine. It was a lot of fun. So thanks for those that were able to make it. Thanks for all the birthday wishes. Uh, here's to 40. So, Proverbs uh, chapter 6. Sorry, he was in Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, we're, we're going through Proverbs, book of wisdom. It's the last book of wisdom that we're doing. Uh, remember, it was written by King Solomon, uh, who was granted wisdom from God. Um, but remember, we should uh, come at the Bible um, not overwhelmed, because the Bible is just full of broken, broken people. Um, I was actually kind of bummed out uh, reading the Bible lately, looking at how leaders end their leadership. And my mom made a really good point. She's like, there ain't many leaders in the Bible that ended well. And my mom said, if you live long enough, watch out. You're about, your flesh will take over. You'll sin. You'll just do something. And we were talking about that with like David, you know. And so this Solomon, this is David's son. And uh, Solomon was granted wisdom from God Almighty. And then his flesh took over and he did everything that God told him not to do. So you should be encouraged when you read the Bible. It's just a bunch of people like me and you making mistakes all the time. So we're in the book of uh, Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom. Beautiful, beautiful sayings. They're kind, they kind of read like fortune cookies. You can just read one a day, you know. And so we had that saying, uh, a proverb a day keeps the fool away. And what is a fool? A fool is someone who doesn't know themselves and doesn't know God, right? Doesn't know God and doesn't know themselves. That's foolishness. And uh, so Proverbs helps us know God and know ourselves. Um, the Bible says that if anyone looks into this letter of the law, or anyone looks into God's Word and doesn't see themselves like in a mirror and walks away and forgets what God's Word has said to them, they're a fool. They're a fool. And so we're looking into God's Word. We want to be a community and a church that looks into God's Word, right, for truth, for life-changing truth, as Nancy said, filled with the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, so that we might be changing, always, right? Our little sign over there says, Jesus equals change lives. Guess what? Mine first, and then others. Ours first, then others. We never want to be a church that says, you need to change without us examining ourselves with the Word of God and the direction of the Holy Spirit. So here we are in the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. Thank you, Nancy. That was kind of an excerpt from the middle of it. Uh, Solomon is writing letters to his son, who is graduating. This is graduation time, right? Everyone's going to a graduation party right now. It's crazy. I, I thought once we got through ski season, I'd be able to just kind of relax a little bit. Absolutely not. Every concert, every game, every graduation party, everything is shoved into right now. I mean, you heard Nathan read through the back of the bulletin. My goodness. If you can't connect with this church, it is on you, right? Like there's a lot going on. And to make it fun to connect, I think nine out of ten of these events all have food at them, right? So <laughs> no excuses. Come on in 
and connect with us in one of these. And community is huge connection. So Solomon is writing these letters to his son who is growing up. And I don't know if he's graduating or not, but he's growing up and he's giving him life lessons. So the life lessons I would like to talk today is about the element of story. If anyone knows me, they know that I love a good story. And I love to tell a good story. And if you hang around with me, you're going to be like, oh boy, here he goes again. Marcus is telling another story. And sometimes people really enjoy listening to my stories. And other times people are like, dude, it's really long. And other times people are like, dude, I've heard this one 17 times, okay? So um, I don't know where you are in, in relationship with me and if you enjoy stories. It's pretty funny when, when some of our core staff actually come away from a church service and we hang out and they go, I've never heard you tell that story. I'm like, wow, that's pretty crazy. Heidi has heard me tell that story. <laughs> so I actually am really, in fa- I'm really fascinated with psychology. I really, really actually enjoy psychology. And uh, when I look at some psychologists who have studied the meaning of life, Here's what I found. When we talk about story, story is a great element of life, all right? A good story and good life have very similar things in common. Here's what some of uh, the famous psychologists said. Uh, Jewish psychologist uh, Freud said that the purpose or the meaning of life is pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure. That all we do, every decision that we make, every thought that we had, if you trace it back to its beginning, it's that we are pursuing pleasure. Right? And that's what Freud said. Frankel, who was also a Jewish uh, psychologist from the same area, actually, middle of Europe, um, Frankel said that the purpose of uh, the, that the, uh, the best life or the purpose of life is to find meaning, is to find purpose, that is to have purpose. Uh, I really like his story. It was not an easy story. Frankel was a Jewish uh, psychologist that said that, that the purpose of life is to have meaning and that life is really difficult, and a difficult life brings meaning. Guess what he had to endure after he wrote that line? He had, to, he had to endure the Nazi regime, and he was a Jewish psychologist. Him and his brand new wife, who was brand new pregnant, his mom and his dad got all taken away to a Jewish concentration camp, where his mother, his father, his unborn baby, and his wife all were murdered. He was not. He wanted to give up on life. But then he remembered his teachings, he remembered his things that he was thinking about, that that a meaningful life, that you can always find purpose, you can always find meaning. And so Frankel argued that the purpose of life is finding meaning. And what he said about Freud, because Freud came first, he said that when a person can't find meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. That one hit me pretty hard. I was like, ooh. When a person can't find meaning, they distract themselves with pleasure. Or if they can't find purpose, they distract themselves with pleasure. Solzhenitsyn, another famous psychologist, said this. He said, when your why is strong enough, you can overcome any how. Let me say this. When your why is strong enough, why are you living? Why am I here? When I can answer that question, I can overcome any circumstance that comes my way. He said, when your why is strong enough, you can overcome anyhow. So how does this relate to the Bible? How does this relate to our belief? Well, a bunch of really smart theologians in Scotland and and, and, and England who were trying to figure out church and what we believe got together at the Westminster, and they call it the Westminster Short Catechism. And this very famous line, and here's what they said. 
They said that the chief end of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So we're going through what's the meaning of life, what's the purpose of life, right? Because Solomon is writing wisdom to his son, getting ready to send him out. And he's saying, okay, there's a meaning, there's a purpose to life. And the greatest theological minds of England and Scotland got together and they penned that phrase. That the whole point of life, the chief end of man, that's what it says, the chief end of humankind. The whole point of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I like how John Piper put it. He kind of helped me understand that. Because I don't know about you, but the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That does sound like a scholarly Englishman with a cigar, you know, and a glass of whiskey and coming up with some great profound thing that I'm like, uh, it's 2022. I've got three kids and bills to pay. How does that have to do with me? That's a very heady thing. This is what, this is what John Piper says. He says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Let me say that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Have you ever been satisfied before? I don't know about you, but like, I am probably most satisfied after a really good meal. Have you ever pushed back from a table, let your weight fall into the chair, let the, let the fork clink against the table, and maybe do this thing where you like kind of play with your glass a little bit, and you go, ah. Oh, that was an amazing meal. And that's ultimately what God is talking about. That when we come to a place in our lives where we fully rest, where we fully put our weight and our hope and our faith in God, and I am satisfied in that. I am satisfied in an all-knowing, all-loving, all-caring Father who is over all and in all. And I can put my weight in that and go, God is most glorified in that. Aren't you glad that you serve a king like that? Aren't you glad that you serve a God like that? That our God isn't most glorified in us when we work harder than his other subjects? That our God is most most glorified in us when we conquer more land or do more things in his name? No. He's glorified when we're most satisfied in Him. And we are most satisfied in Him when we are content. So, I said earlier, the elements of a good life are the same as the elements of a good story. See, the Westminster Catechism and John Piper, they both know the greatest story ever told. I think think Freud and Frankel and Nietzsche all knew the greatest story ever told. Now, each of them had different beliefs in the greatest story ever told. Freud, who pursued pleasure, said that the greatest story ever told's meaning is for us to pursue pleasure. Nietzsche, he had a hard time figuring things out. He was famous for saying, God is dead, and we killed him, is what he says. He essentially is saying, there is no hope, there is nothing beyond yourself, just do you. Frankel, in the midst of a concentration camp, losing his wife, unborn child, and two two parents, said that there is meaning to this. There is meaning. There is purpose in this pain. 
But the theologians in the Westminster Catechism and John Piper know the greatest story ever told. Did you actually know that Hollywood in 1965 actually made a movie called The Greatest Story Ever Told? They did. And what's crazy is the New York Times, the LA paper, the Chicago Tribune, all huge headlines in 1965. The greatest story ever told, greatest cinematic performance, the greatest, the greatest show that will be on screen. Do not think you will ever top this. And you know what the story was about? The story was about Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, claiming to be the Messiah, raising people from the dead, healing people of sickness and blindness, walking through his ministry, ultimately dying on a cross and rising again. That's what the whole film in 1965 was about. And Hollywood thought it was such a good movie, they had Max von Sydow playing it, which he's actually still in the Star Wars, I'm pretty sure. And guess who else was a main character in this 1965 film? John Wayne. Right? So guess what? It wasn't just Hollywood that believes that the story of Jesus Christ is the greatest story ever told. The world actually still believes this, folks. You don't believe me? Check out The Chosen. Let me give you some facts on The Chosen right now, people. It's insane. They have a 100% rating on Rotten Tomato, which there is no other show that has that rating. Right now, The Chosen has 314 million viewers globally. That is the same as the population of the United States of America, folks. Guys, to give you some perspective, the Super Bowl this last winter, the Super Bowl, was viewed by 96 million people. That's one-third the viewership of The Chosen. The Chosen has three times the viewership than the Super Bowl. Folks, this is the greatest story ever told. And you can, you can argue it. You can argue it. But, it, but it, it, the, greatest, the greatest sales of a piece of book is the Bible forever. The greatest viewership of a show is about the personhood of Jesus Christ. Hollywood in 1965 said it themselves by naming the movie The Greatest Story Ever Told. Sorry, Hollywood. You did it. 1965. John Wayne was in it. I want to go watch it. I've never watched it. Have you guys watched that movie? I want. It. No, you have. You haven't. Have yeah. Well, that's 1965. I haven't either, bro. Me and you weren't there. Bill was there. You and I weren't. Okay, so a story has elements. If you were to take a local English class, or if you would take a college English class, you would find out that the story has elements. And each story, there are characters. And characters fall into four main categories. Marissa is an English teacher, so I hope I do okay. Nancy has studied the book of Proverbs, so I'm on the hook. Marissa studied English through college. Here I go. So the main four characters that, that people fall into in a, in a, in a story 
is victim, villain, hero, or guide. Let me say that. There's four main characters that everyone, and then there's supporting cast, obviously. But the four main characters in a movie or a good story is either victim, villain, hero, or guide. Now, this is really cool. I love this. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, says this. Paul's talking, and he says, you, he's talking to a group of people, you, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses. I actually think it's Peter talking, not Paul. Peter's talking, sorry. Peter's talking, not Paul. This is why you have, you know, and Nathan knows chapter, Acts, so I was just testing him. So, (laughs) Paul hasn't given his life to Christ yet, so. Peter says to a group of people, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses. See, Peter calls, i got to get rid of this coffee. I don't know why I came up here with it. It's good coffee, by the way. It's free on Sundays. Peter tells people Jesus is the author of life. The Bible in the book of Hebrews calls God the author of life. God is the ultimate author of life. God wrote the greatest story ever told. Why is it the greatest story ever told? Because it has the greatest author who ever lived. God wrote this story. Now hold on with me. I know you guys are having a hard time tracking. I'm having a hard time tracking. I'm coming around, I promise. Folks, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that you and I were created in God's image. And you know what that means? That means that you are also authors. I am also an author. Christian actually means little Christ. So if Jesus is the author, we also are to be authors. What an English teacher will tell you is that a story to be good must have a main character who desperately wants something. And the more they want it, and the greater the trouble, the greater the hardship, the greater the suffering that that character has to go through to get it, the greater the story. Let me say that again. A hero in a story is somebody who has to overcome great odds, and the greater the odds, the better, for them to get what they desire. And that's the element of the greatest story. So why is it the greatest story ever told? Because Jesus was the hero, and he wanted to save us, the villains and the victims. He wanted to save us. And he had to give his own life. And what makes the story crazy is that he didn't give up just his mortal life. It's one thing to give up your mortal life. Everyone here will die. Everyone listening will die. We will all die. Jesus never had to taste death. Not only did he give up his mortal life, he gave up his immortal life. He had to overcome incredible odds. He left heaven, came to earth, 
I'm sure the first time he had a stomachache, he was like, what is this? Never had that in heaven. Yeah. Right? First time he had a headache, I bet he was like, oh, never had one of those in heaven. Ah, you know? He had to give up his immortal life. It's the greatest story ever told. So if you and I, according to Genesis chapter 1, 26, are, are also authors of life, here's how I want to encourage you. We are all one of these characters. We are either a victim, a villain, a hero, or a guide. And we're all of them at all different times in life. But I want to encourage myself, encourage you today. Because, and you're like, Marcus, what does this have to do with what we just read in Proverbs chapter 6? Because Solomon describes a victim in this paragraph, and he describes a villain in this paragraph. And he actually even uses the word villain. Here's the victim. Oh, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? The victim says, oh, it's too hard. It's too much. I can't do it. I just want a little sleep. I just want a little slumber. I just want a little folding of the hands. Hear the victim in there? Hear the victim? Then he actually says, he says the villain word. He says, hey, you troublemaker. You villain. You go around with corrupt lips. With corruption on your mouth, you wink maliciously with your eyes. You signal with your feet to do malicious things. Right? Here's the, diff- here's the thing about a villain and a victim. Remember I told you a hero is somebody who wants something and is willing to overcome great odds to get it. That's a hero. Did you know that every vi- hero starts a villain or a victim or both? Let me say that again. Every hero in a story starts a villain or victim or both. A combination of both. Usually a combination of both. Right? Come on, guys. Bilbo Baggins was a victim at the beginning. Seriously. Victim a lot of the times. He was overcoming some things. To become the hero. A hairy foot hero. You know? What are some of the greatest stories that you can think about? Obviously, the Lord of the Rings is one. I think of one of the greatest movies that I've got to watch is probably Gladiator. You guys remember Gladiator? He started kind of as a villain, the rough dude, the tough dude. And then what happened? He became a victim very quickly, didn't he? Right? And then he had that moment of heroism as he overcame all of his, you know, issues. Right? And he had that moment where he took the helmet off. And he goes, my name is Maximus Dismas Mernis, general of the Legion armies to the north, loyal to the true Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I'll have my vengeance in this life or the next. It's like, whoa, you know? That's, that's, here's the hero. I get goosebumps even talking about it. But he had to overcome. A victim and a villain both believe in fate and not faith. Let me say that again. A victim and a villain both believe in fate and not faith. 
The villain says, hmm, I'm going to take mine, and it's fate that I get this. And it's fate that it's not yours. And the victim says, oh, there's nothing I can do. I just was dealt a horrible hand. <laughs> right? But did you hear what the wisest person in the world said about a victim and a villain? What comes to both of them? Destruction. He said that the, vi- the, vi- the victim, poverty will come to you like a thief in the night. Like an armed man, you'll have scarcity. And he says to the villain, go ahead, plot your evil, motion with your feet, wink with your eye. Disaster will overtake you in an instant. Think of every movie you ever watched. Does has anyone, you know, remember, you know, like the villain or the victim? Right? They both end in destruction. They both end in destruction. But a hero, a hero is someone who sees pain that has purpose. That hardship, struggles, frustrations are not all outside of the plan of the author, but that are moving us towards becoming more like the author. And that's one of the things that we struggle with as Christians. We think that signing up for Christianity is like good life insurance or a good product where if I do X, right, if I put my faith in Christ and I do that thing where I confess with my mouth and I come to church, then it will go well with me in my life the way that I want it to. I will have the amount of kids that I want to have. They will behave appropriately. Some good laughs on that one. They will go to the schools I want them to go to. My retirement account will be as big enough that I want it to be. My checking account will always be full. My savings account will always have enough. My spouse will always love me and do what I want. My church will never let me down and always fulfill me. My job will always satisfy me and I'll love my boss forever. And you might not consciously say that if you come to Jesus, that's what you want. But look at the frustration in your life. Where are you angry? Where are you anxious and worried? Anger and worry are two flags that if you follow them back, it's because you've had a failed expectation. And when you have a failed expectation of, I don't deserve this boss. I never signed up for this marriage. How can my child be doing this? I can't believe that we got discriminated, uh, discriminated against and they aren't going to that college or my kid didn't get picked, or whatever, huh? or you didn't get picked, I didn't get picked, right? You follow those unmet expectations, and you will find that they are, heart, they are rooted in the heart of a victim or a villain. Because the hero just sees it as another hurdle, just sees it as another mountain to climb, and says, I will get stronger, this will change me, and are we willing on the journey of faith to say, God, I will, I will give my life to you. You write the story. 
And like you, God, I will also be a little author along with your story. And you've given me a free will to choose you. You've given me a, a mind to know you, a heart to love you, and a will to choose you. And I will write my story, God, to your glory. See, because if you're a person like me, I can get tricked into writing a story for my glory. Do you identify like that? Are you an entrepreneur, small business owner, a person with vision, a person with pizzazz or enthusiasm? Maybe you can identify with Marcus. And as I begin to write my story, where does the glory begin to go? To Marcus as I write. Right? Or maybe you identify a little bit with my wife. And as you begin to write your story, you begin to control things. You begin to worry about your children, what they're being exposed to, who's influencing them, what decisions they're making when you can't see them. And you begin to grab the pen and you begin to write things for protection or for safety, right? Because my wife will outwork me. Sometimes I am lazy. I'm like, oh man, I can't think about that kind of stuff. That hurts my head. What, what are you writing your story about? Because a great story is written about the glory of God and enjoying him forever. And that's ultimately what Solomon is trying to tell his son here. He's trying to tell his son, son, don't be the victim. Don't be the victim. Rise up above that. Be the hero. And he's also trying to say, son, don't be the villain. Don't be the villain. Rise up above that. Be the hero. I would like to encourage you and encourage me. Don't be the victim. Don't be the villain. You are created in the image of God. You get to write a story. Your dog is awesome. Your dog is not writing a story. Your cat right now is at home enjoying its life because you're gone. Because you're here. Your cat's not writing a story. But you are writing a story. I am writing a story. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. Every neighbor of yours, every coworker of yours, every related family member of yours is writing a story. Why? Because they were created in the image of God of God. And what are you doing in your story? Are you having a pity party? Are you the victim? Are you being lazy? Are you the victim? Or are you winking maliciously, motioning with your feet, making sure that you've got yours and that you're okay and that you're set? Do you believe in fate or do you believe in faith? Because Hebrews chapter 11 says this, that without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever comes to God must believe that he is and that God diligently rewards those who seek him. I wrote this and I'll end with this. The life of faith is not passive. The life of faith is not perfect. Let me rephrase it. 
The story of faith is not a passive story. The story of faith is not a perfect story. But the story of faith is a practice. And that's why we must practice our faith every day. There are some of you in here, me sometimes included, because of our laziness and our victimness, we would love for the faith in Jesus Christ, the faith story, the faith journey, to be passive. We would like to come into God's presence and be like, there, everything's taken care of for me. I don't have to think. I can just fall asleep in church. I can just fall asleep in life. I can just fall asleep. Oh, that feels good. Or maybe you're a control freak and you believe the life of faith has to be perfect. And so either you're pretending to be perfect so you come to church and you look like a piece of plastic or you're depressed or you're, you're, you're anxious ridden because you just can't make this unperfect faith journey perfect. So you're riddled with stress and anxiety and weight of depression because you're working your darndest to make this perfect. So if Jesus is the author of life, and we were created in his image, and we are to be authors too, this is the adventure, this is the story that Jesus invites us on. Jesus in the scriptures, in the gospels, a lot of times you see it with his hand reached out, you know, and we kind of dramatize it, you know. But he meets the disciples and he says what? He says, come figure me out. Is that what he said? Oh, no. He said, come fall asleep with me. Did he say that? No. What did Jesus invite us to? He said, come follow me. Bible studies are incredible. They're great. But folks, if you go to Bible studies to figure Jesus out, you are doing the wrong thing. Coming to church is incredible. But if you're going to church so that you can fall asleep in the rest of your life because you think you come to church and your kids won't smoke weed and won't have sex and will go to college because you went to church, you're wrong. Well, we all know you're wrong. We know you're wrong. Why? Because I grew up in the church. <laughs> but we do this, don't we? We either come after Jesus because we're like, ah, I can fall asleep now. Or we get into God's word, I got to figure this guy out, I got to figure this thing out. Jesus just said, come follow me. And that's an invitation to a what? A story, an adventure. You and I are in the Shire, quite literally, New Hampshire. Like our friend Bilbo, we're in the Shire. And Jesus says, come follow me. I promise to never leave you, never forsake you. I promise to be with you always. I have given you the guide, the Holy Spirit to fill you. But I'm not false advertising. Jesus says in John, he said, in this world, you will face many troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world.
in this world you will face many troubles. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Are you dulling your story by buying into the American narrative that the whole point of your life is to remove as many unsafe things and to remove as many hurdles and to remove as many hardships as possible from your life and your children's lives? Are you bought into that? Because I'm bought into that, especially when it comes to food. A good story is a hero who wants something and overcomes odds to get it. What do you want? What are you building? What are you doing today that if you stopped doing it, it wouldn't exist in the world? This is not a motivational speech. This is the gospel that you and I are made in the image of God. God created the world. You were designed to create and build a story. And folks, if your story is to make the money, to pay the bills, to have the house, to have the kids, so that they can go to the school that will get them the job to make the money, to pay the bills, to have a kid, to have a house, so that that kid can go to a school that will get them the job, that will make them the money, to pay the bills, to have a kid. Do you get what I'm saying? Nobody goes to the theater to watch that movie. No one cries when the hero comes off the lot with the new car that has the safety feature for the child. No, what do you want? I hope it's bigger than a comfortable life. Because if you want a comfortable life, oh, don't. That's not the gospel. Jesus says, come follow me. Jesus says, come follow me into communion. Come follow me into the likeness of my death. Die to yourself. Die to yourself, Marcus. Take up your cross and follow me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I have shed my blood. And you are a true hero in your story when you have acknowledged who God is and who you are. And we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And today, the first Sunday of the month, we celebrate that with communion. So we're going to do that. And if you are someone who has put your faith, hope, and love in Christ, if you are asking the Holy Spirit to guide you into a story that's bigger than yourself, to bring God glory and to enjoy Him forever, you have been able to be part of that because you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Have you confessed your sins with your mouth and believed in your heart? Have you come to a grip where where you are at and where God is at? This is communion. And we come to the table with respect and reverence to remember what Jesus did for us. But we also come to the table humbly. Say, I'm yours, God. You know I'm not perfect. I'm going to confess my sins even now, today. Take a moment. While Drew's playing, take a moment. Say, Lord, I confess to you. I confess my laziness. I confess my greed. I confess my guilt. I confess my shame. I confess my perfectionism. I confess my gluttony. I confess, you know, whatever. Also, examine. The Bible says examine your heart. Is there a co-worker, a family member, someone you have wronged, 
or someone that you're holding out against because you feel like they've wronged you. Jesus is clear. He says, leave your gift at the altar. In other words, leave your check for the ministry or leave your money for the ministry on that table. Go and be forgiven and be reconciled to your neighbor or to your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. I'm human just like you. I have broken relationships. I have control issues. Right? Communion is not about perfection. If it was, we all should leave right now and not take it. But communion also is not about passivity. You're just floating along in this life, not really actually putting faith, hope, and love in Jesus, but just kind of letting life happen to you and putting faith in your 401k and in your, in your work and your check, whatever. That's not communion either. Communion is a practice. That's why we do it once a month. To remember the blood that Jesus shed. The sacrifice that he made on the cross. To remember the promises of God that he would be with us always. To remember the promises of the Holy Spirit that he would guide us and be part of our life. To remember that we were made in the image of God. And with that, we get to be a part of communion. And communion stands for with unity. So we do it all together. Even, yes, in your home, on the World Wide Web. So, as Drew and the team, whoever's coming up, is playing... We have a couple stations over here of communion. You can help yourself to a cup and to a piece of the bread. And then once uh, the song's done playing and we come back to our seats, Nathan's going to lead us into taking communion. But what's really cool is remembering and taking part of the greatest story ever told. Where the hero wanted to save the villain and the victim so much that he left his eternal life and he left his mortal life. Died a rugged death on the cross. The story wasn't over there. Jesus rose him from the dead. God rose him from the dead, and Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father right now, praying for you and me by name. That's where he is, his rightful place, next to God, praying for you, for me, for the ministry. It's pretty cool. So we get to be a part of this story. Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God, serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world. Please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.